Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the box office mojo top 100 all-time box office movies in today's statistics episode. What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new We are over the halfway point, my friends, and we are charging ahead full steam into the next 10 films on the Box Office Mojo Top 100. Uh, Like I mentioned in the last episode of this series, I am going to be looking at the actual Box Office Mojo page to be able to tell you how much money these movies made, because that's kind of important when that's how they're sorted, you know, for you to have some sort of a scale. And, you know, I guess we'll just uh, we'll jump right into it. Uh, we're going to start out bad. And there's going to be some bad. Uh, but there's some good stuff. There's definitely some good stuff in, in this sequence, too. So let's, uh, let's jump right in. All right, here we go. Number 50. The 50, 50th highest grossing film of all time. With $873.3 million earned from 2016, directed by Zack Snyder, starring Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Jesse Eisenberg, Diane Lane, Jeremy Irons, Gal Gadot, and Lawrence Fishburne, and Holly Hunter, and Scoop McNary, among others, is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I've seen this film twice. I saw the original theatrical cut while it was in theaters. I later went and saw, I later watched the extended edition. And uh, the extended edition didn't do anything for me in terms of making me feel like it answered more questions. If anything, I thought it was simply more convoluted. And it's pretty much the epitome of every Zack Snyder film. Looks weird and good. Uh, very stylized, but ultimately bland under the surface and, you know, kind of distorts characters that we've come to know and love. A la Man of Steel, a la 300, a la Watchmen, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah, this movie had an incredible opening weekend. Absolutely, you know, blew the doors off the barn or whatever, and then had one of the steepest drops in history. It got panned by critics and got zero Oscar love, zero critic love. I think it was nominated for like half a dozen Razzies or something like that. And it was the film that was supposed to sort of start and set in motion the DCEU, I guess it did that, except everyone hated it, so... And that's not fair. I mean, there are definitely people, there are a handful of people that find this movie good, that enjoy it. Uh, Simply the iconography of seeing Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman on screen together is a triumph. And, you know, it looks great, you know? If you just want to snapshot that still, that picture is worth far more than the film it comes from. 
Uh, I gave this a 24, which effectively translates as the best possible film it could be while still being awful. Okay, so of all the awful films that I've ever seen, this one is at the top of that pack. I mean, it's like tied with other films at the top of the pack, but you know what I mean. It's it's one of the best awful films ever. And I don't say that as in like it's a so bad, it's good way. It isn't so bad, it's good. It's just bad. And that's, I think, a big problem with Snyder. He He doesn't know how to make so bad, it's good. He can only make bad. And... So, I mean, I guess it's nice that it made so much money. I think that the studio actually still considers it a failure because it only made $873 million. They were hoping for a billion, and, you know, that's just being greedy. Um, You know, like, you know, we already talked about Suicide Squad, which came in uh, at seven in the in the high 70s with 700. It made $745 million. So, roughly... 130 million dollars less uh i don't know the budgets i'm guessing they're roughly comparable batman v superman probably cost a little more but you know i mean it did what it did we're getting a one we're getting a wonder woman movie gal gadot is a perfect wonder woman at least visually i don't know if she can act well enough we haven't seen her in enough scenes so i'm really excited to see wonder woman i'm still really excited for every DC movie. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm excited for comic book movies and I'm okay being let down time and time again because every once in a while you get a Guardians of the Galaxy. You get a Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, you get a, you get an Iron Man. You get a Dark Knight. You know, you get some, you know, I would trade a hundred awful DC movies for the Dark Knight, like easily. So I'm okay with that. Uh, but hopefully there's a light at the end of this tunnel somewhere and it's not just failure after failure after failure but batman v superman dawn of justice is number 50 at number 49 we go into the animated realm this is another 2016 film uh, that came in with 875.5 million dollars 368.4 of that domestic and that my friends, is The Secret Life of Pets, directed by Chris Renaud, starring the voice talents of Louis C.K., Eric Stone Street, Kevin Hart, Jenny Slate, Lake Bell, Bobby Moynihan, Albert Brooks, and Ellie Kemper, among others. Uh, Secret Life of Pets blew up at the box office last fall, and I guess it was, was it summer? I think it was fall, and just kind of steamrolled the competition. It made a bajillion dollars for no reason. I mean, it had a great marketing campaign, but I watched the, I went and saw the movie and it was very average. So yeah, I, I just, I mean, it just like, it's every single animated kids movie ever balled into one. Uh, like I don't remember very much of it. Nothing really sticks out besides, um, Kevin Hart and Jenny Slate's characters. Kevin Hart is the loudmouth bunny uh, Jenny Slate is the like poofy white tiny dog, and uh, that's it. I don't. I just like it's. It's a very unremarkable, unimpressionable movie, and it somehow made eight hundred and seventy million dollars. I don't. I don't get it. Uh, I gave it. I think an exact 
50 secret of life. Yes, I gave it an exact 50, the only 50 I gave out last year. Because it is so unremarkable that it is neither good nor bad in any shape, way, or form. So that is the secret life of pets. Uh, number 49. In a similar vein is our number 48. Uh, released in 2012 it is another animated kids movie about talking animals it made 877.2 million dollars and here's a very interesting statistic it only made 161.3 million of those dollars domestically so compared they made roughly made roughly the same amount of money as secret life of pets secret life of pets made 42 percent of its business in the states while this movie made 18 and a half percent of its money in the states so a huge huge overwhelming portion of its money was made elsewhere and we've already talked about one of them i think let me double check that yes in fact uh yeah so we already talked about the first one of these movies but this one is ice age continental drift uh, ice age of the meltdown is now currently ranked 100th uh, this is ranked 48th. Ice Age Continental Drift is from 2012, directed by Steve Martino, Mike Thermier, Thermier uh, starring the voice talents of John Leguizamo, Ray Romano, Chris Wedge, Dennis Leary, Sean William Scott, Jennifer Lopez, Queen Latifah, Peter Dinklage, Nick Frost, Josh Gad, Nicki Minaj, and others. Um, this is the fourth Ice Age movie. Um, I think there was Ice Age, Ice Age, The Meltdown, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Ice Age, Continental Drift, and then whatever the fifth one was that came out last year, which I haven't seen yet. Um, so this is the fourth of five Ice Age movies. They all seem to do a significant, significant portion of their money outside of the United States. I don't know why. Uh, this movie is about, you know, continental drift. So their continent is drifting and they are using an iceberg as a ship. They encounter sea creatures and battle pirates as they explore a new world. Um, as I, I, I think I mentioned this before, but the Ice Age movies kind of work in the exact opposite direction as the Madagascar movies for me. They get progressively worse. Or, I mean, like, they they start out really bad and they don't get any better. Uh, the first Ice Age movie was a 77 for me. And Continental Drift is a 40. Uh, it's very bad. Two stars. Not a good time at the movies. And I really wish they'd stop making so much money. This and, like, Transformers. I just don't, I don't understand how they make so much money. But they do. And that's, uh, we're just going to have to deal with that. And we'll get one every three years or two years or whatever it is. So anyway, number 48, Ice Age, Continental Drift. Number 47, uh, we've, already, uh, we've already had one of these movies previously. Um, and we will continue, you know, all of these movies are on this top all nine movies in this franchise are on this top 100. This is the third one of that series. 
uh, making $879 million, 262 of it in domestically. Coming out in 2002 is Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, the second film in the franchise, uh, directed by Chris Columbus, uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, and a ton of other people. This is um, the spider story of the franchise. Uh, this In this one, there is a mysterious series of attacks at Hogwarts led by some strange diary that falls into the hands of Ginny, Ron's sister, and people start becoming petrified only to find out that this, the, the secret all along is that Harry is a parcel tongue. And so he's accused of it and, you know, things happen. Um, Chamber of Secrets is one of my favorite Harry Potter films of them all. I think it, it sticks very closely to the source material. Um, as I mentioned, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite. Chamber of Secrets is rank, I rank number four, and I put it on a very even par with Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, Christopher Columbus gets good performances out of the kids at this time. Um, they're still very young, and so they're not fully formed as actors yet. But Christopher Columbus is great with kids as a director and ultimately ends up uh, accomplishing everything with them, in a sense. And uh, Chamber of Secrets, just like Sorcerer's Stone, uh, made a ton of money. The books were intensely popular and hadn't even all come out yet. I think the last book came out around the same time as the fifth movie, give or take. So, you know, this was a fa franchise that was so heavily in the public eye that it, it would have taken... I don't know what it would have taken for this to like fail, but it succeeded and flourished. So Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, number 47. Number 46 um, is another franchise film that came out in 2015. It made $880.7 million, 200 of that million uh, domestically. And directed by Sam Mendes, that movie is Spectre, the most recent James Bond film starring Daniel Craig, Christoph Waltz, Lea Seydoux, Ralph Fiennes, Monica Bellucci, Ben Whishaw, Naomi Harris, Dave Bautista, among others. And uh, man, I, I like the James Bond character. And I think Casino Royale and Skyfall are great great movies, great Bond films. I like Craig as Bond. I think Daniel Craig's a good Bond. Definitely a modern Bond that we needed. On the other hand, I think Quantum of Solace is barely good, uh, and I think that Spectre is very mediocre. I think it is the weakest Craig Bond film, and... I don't know. I, I mean... Here's the, like, that's the thing with, like, franchises. You know, I'm not invested in the Bond franchise quite at all in the same way that I'm invested in a franchise like Marvel or DC. Uh, you know, I don't feel any connection to Bond. I wasn't around when it was very popular. Um, the first Bond I saw was Sean Connery, and he was already not Bond by that point. I, 
identify most with Craig Bond. You know, I went and saw Casino Royale in the theater. I really enjoyed it. Um, Quantum of Solace was forgettable, and uh, Skyfall was great. Like, somehow Skyfall, like, rejuvenated the franchise. And then I think Spectre just kind of shat on it again. So, I don't know. I, I don't hold a lot of stock in Bond whatsoever. It's great that Spectre made a ton of money, but that money should have all been for Skyfall and not for Spectre, in my opinion. Um, just to specify, I gave Spectre a 52. So, very average. Slightly above Secret Life of Pets. So, not ideal. <clears throat> so, 46, Spectre. For number 45, we jump back in to a franchise we just touched on and uh, making $886.7 million with 196.6 of that domestic. We have the third film in this franchise, and that's Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs from 2009, directed by Carlos Saldana. Uh, this one stars everybody and Simon Pegg is like the main new ad for this one. And uh, yeah, it, just like the title says, now there are dinosaurs. They meet Simon Pegg, who's like a crafty thing. <laughs> I know, they like fall into a hole and there's dinosaurs there. This is how I remember it. Which, I don't know, is very strange. I don't know. The chronology of these movies is very weird. Because dinosaurs came before, like, sloths, right? And mammoths? Like, didn't they? I, I mean, I, I admit my, my prehistoric history is not as well brushed up on as it used to be, but... I'm pretty sure, I mean, unless it works, I don't remember the movie. I don't know if it was like something like a, oh, they've been here for millions of years. You just never noticed type of thing. But I, I do feel like it completely fucks up everything. I don't know. I didn't like this one. Um, it is my least favorite feature film of the Ice Age movies. Dawn of the Dino. I think I gave it a 38. Yes, 38. So roughly the same as I gave uh, Continental Drift. So bad, but not awful. I mean, it's a it's an animated kids movie, but it's coming from a big studio with great voice talent and voice work, and it's well put together technically. So it's not awful. You know, there are plenty of awful animated movies that, that don't make a lot of money and that are actually damaging to, like, kids. <laughs> this is not really one of them. And at the very least, every time an Ice Age movie comes out, we get a new short film featuring Scrat, who I love. My favorite part of the series at this point is Scrat. Love Scrat. He's great. So good. Uh, yeah, so Dawn of the Dinosaurs, meh. Not a fan, but it made a ton of money, and it's on this list, so we talk about it. So that's number 45, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Moving on to number 44, 
we have the final film in this franchise from Sony from 2007, making $890.9 million, 336 of that domestically, is the film Spider-Man 3, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Thomas Hayden Church, Topher Grace, Bryce Dallas Howard, among others. Uh, the film that really just killed the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and everything surrounding him because they brought in too many villains and they turned Tobey Maguire into an emo douchebag. Uh, yeah, so... I mean, we, we talked about like this when we talked about uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And essentially, the series just got too heavy to hold up. And that's the problem. And I think most comic books have this problem in that you got the first movie, the origin story. You got the second movie, which most of the time is better. Spider-Man 2, Dark Knight, uh, Captain America. And then more often than not, the third movie incorporates too many villains too many bad guys, too much going on because you feel like you have to super like go above and beyond what happened in the second movie. So Spider-Man three, um, I would I would lump Civil War into this. Dark Knight Rises uh, has an element of that as well. Uh, Iron Man three, you know, like all these movies that felt this great burden to uh, do more than was necessary and they ultimately fail because of it. And Spider-Man 3 might be the biggest example of this failing and the first example of this failing. You know, it was panned. Uh, it's got a 2.5 on Letterboxd. You know, I gave it somewhere in the 50s. You know, I was pretty generous. I haven't seen it in a while, to be fair. Uh, I gave it a 55. It was a great disappointment to everyone involved. And it just... It had the worst of Tobey Maguire, the worst of James Franco, the worst of Topher Grace. And, and it just it didn't amount to anything substantial. And it's a shame. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think Sam Raimi is a great director. I'm not sure how much of the failing of this movie is due to him or the studio or whatnot. But yeah, it just it just was it was just a, a big big fat disappointment, and it, it still made a, it still made a ton of money. It made more money than Batman v Superman. So disappointments come in all shapes and sizes. And I mean, I guess Spider Man three, the Spider Man series, had already built up so much credibility at that point that the third one was not going to fail no matter what happened to it but and like financially it exceeded its expectations but uh critically and from fan reaction it was very much loathed and hated for that so that's number 44 spider-man 3 moving on to another film that i've already talked about a film from the same franchise in it in this episode uh, number 43 with 896.9 million dollars from 2005 Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire cashing in on the uh, uh, I don't know I don't know what you would call it but all the 
you know, this is the fourth book based on the fourth book. So, uh, you know, we just had Alfonso Cuaron's uh, the, the Prisoner of Azkaban. And now we have uh, Mike Newell's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. And it stars the most of the main cast plus... It also includes Robert Pattinson, uh, Clements Posey, and we finally see Rafe Fiennes as Voldemort. And so that is the big selling point of this movie. It encompasses other schools besides Hogwarts, and it introduces us to Voldemort. And Rafe Fiennes is an incredible Voldemort. Uh, a role that he stepped into perfectly, just like every other actor in this movie franchise. And some of the style decisions in this movie, I was like, fine with. But from the moment that we enter the graveyard at the end of the movie, I, I loved it. I You know, David Tennant is fantastic. You've also got Brendan Gleeson jumping in on this movie. In, in a significant Mad-Eye Moody role. And I think Goblet of... You know, I, I credit Prisoner of Azkaban with turning the series into a more PG slash PG-13 uh, direction. And Goblet of Fire, un, you know, it unfortunately, the biggest fault that it has and why it's not higher, more higher rated for me is because... Uh, I said that so... I worded that so poorly. Uh, is because... The first half of this movie is, like, all about relationships. And I get that that's, like, an element. And, like, some of that's in the books. And some of that makes sense. They're teenagers. Like, of course, they're going to be dealing with emotions and things like that. Sure, whatever, fine. It lays it on really thick. And even if the intention is to contrast the sort of happy-go-lucky, lovey-dovey-ness of it all with the dour people die at the end of this movie like we don't really see characters die in in harry potter you know and we see robert pattinson killed like with a flick of a wrist absolutely no like no pain and the scene where harry returns to uh the 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 tournament with the with the cup with um oh shit what's his name uh, with with Cedric Diggory's body, and he's crying out, and like everybody's like applauding because they like, oh, he won, he won, and then and then just like Dumbledore realizes what's gone wrong, and you've got all these characters who like slowly come to realize, you know, Cedric Diggory's dad, and it's just oh, it's just terif- it's terrible, it's it's really gut wrenching, and I think like that back half of the movie, like everything from everything that like happens after. The Christmas Ball, I think, is fantastic. Like, as best as, as good as anything that was in Prisoner of Azkaban. But I think the parts ahead of that are just a lot weaker, just uh, in style and in, in substance. So, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, I give it an 80. So, it barely reaches into the great for me. And uh, that puts it at... Um, that puts it at number... Six overall in the Harry Potter franchise for me. So that's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, number 43. And continuing our run of franchise films, 
breaking into the 900 millions with 919.8 million dollars number 42 released in 2004 is the animated film shrek 2 shrek 2 coming off the incredible success of shrek which sat which uh was a very humorous and well-made satire of the fairy tale genre they brought out a sequel I'm sure I was far too young to like think that it wouldn't be a good movie because it was a sequel. I'm sure there were plenty of people who did think that. And I think people still think that it was kind of just a weaker succession. I think it's just as good. I think Shrek and Shrek 2 are both great, great satires. Um, I think Shrek is the best of the three of the films. Um, and I think Puss in Boots is a little bit better than Shrek 2. But I think all three of them are, are great for what they are. And so just seeing all these characters again, um, you know, the love between Shrek and Fiona, they finally accepted, you know, their ways and like they've actually been living together. You've got Donkey back. You get to meet um, the parents and you get introduced to Puss in Boots, Antonio Banderas. I, I think that, you know, it just it's just so funny so good and at the time you know if it weren't for the incredibles coming out in the same year shrek 2 would have been the biggest animated film of like the year and would have won like best animated feature but you know unfortunately the incredibles was there and, and stole its thunder but shrek 2 highly highly recommend uh even like the end movie um american idol spoof i i love the jennifer saunders uh holding out for a hero performance i thought that was great and and really fun uh mungo was fantastic the whole prince charming element to this movie was really fun the fairy godmother just the way they incorporate all these different characters in ways that you didn't think of them in such a way you know this movie was doing what once upon a time is doing for tv 10 years ahead of ahead of it so uh, you know i really appreciate the what, what shrek did for animated movies and helped Dr dreamworks like you know yeah pixar is far more prestigious and has gotten a lot more credit for the m maturity and and level of quality that animated films have been have risen to but shrek and, and DreamWorks have always been like in the conversation, whether it's Shrek or whether it's How to Train Your Dragon, they always have some horse in that race, I guess is how I'd phrase it. So I really like Shrek too and uh, had a great time watching it as a kid. So Shrek 2, number 42. And finally today, in today's episode, uh, another franchise film. It's the majority of them now. Coming out in 2002, but being re-released later on. At number 41, making $926 million, 342 of that domestically. We have The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. The sequel to Fellowship, it made... Uh, 50 million 55 more millions of dollars than fellowship did and 
deservedly so. It took the franchise in a completely more, in a much more bombastic and action-packed direction. You know, you have the huge Battle of Helm's Deep, which I still contend is the best battle in these movies. You have all the cast returning, uh, a couple of new additions. I, I can't really pick them out of this huge cast list, though. And like I said when talking about Fellowship, it's just the sequencing and the adventure elements and the way that these movies handle so many different POVs and interwoven stories and somehow keeping them separate but congruent at the same time is just a feat unto itself. And Peter Jackson absolutely deserves all the credit in the world for doing that. Uh, you know, Two Towers is, as I mentioned, uh, I, I think the middle movie of the three, both sequentially and in terms of quality. I gave it a 91. I think it's amazing. And you're seeing in this movie just more power on the side of dark, a sort of evil, and a much more split and uh, weakened team of heroes uh, as everyone's become further and further apart. You've got the whole Gandalf issue uh, with the Balrog, and uh, you know Frodo and Sam are on their own. Gimli, Legolas, and Aragorn uh, are on are searching for Merry and Pippin. Uh, Gandalf is MIA. And you've got humans and elves and dwarves and everybody's like doing their own thing. And, and at the end of this movie, you finally have some sort of uh, coalescence, some coalition of forces. And it's, it's quite impressive and quite powerful to, to feel their, the, these people joining together. And I think that that is an incredibly moving and worthwhile ending to a middle film that has so much to bear, so much weight to bear as a movie that doesn't really have a beginning or an end. It makes it the best, I think, is the, you know, is the best middle film in a trilogy because, you know, and you look at other trilogies, and I, I kind of set this one aside from... You know, I, like, I don't consider The Dark Knight as part of a trilogy in the same vein. You know, The Lord of the Rings is a story, and it's broken up into three movies. Um, the Dark Knight trilogy is not one story. Like, it's not telling one story with three parts. It's three stories that are part of the same world, that are part of the same character. And what The Two Towers does, and the amount of weight resting on its shoulders, is very much tough it's very difficult to do something like this you know you look at um i don't know there, there's there's plenty of like examples where these movies movies like this just don't work and you know you have one weak chink in the armor and everything after it falls and crumbles um you know i would point to the hunger games where parts one and two Catching Fire and the first and the first film are, are great, and then because they split the third book into two movies, it, it destroyed it. You know, the third book or the third movie has to 
it has a somewhat of a beginning and then it has to not have an ending because there's another movie after it and it just completely failed where the two towers against all odds succeeded in 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 flying colors and so yeah the lord of the rings is an incredible series one of my favorite series of all time and i'm endlessly impressed with the just the weight of the of the movies that have had the weight these movies have had on cinema and the world even so that's number 41 the lord of the rings the two towers and that is the last film in today's episode there are 40 films to go barring uh something else barring i mean the fate of the furious uh comes out on friday and if i don't record these fast enough it might sneak its way into the top 100 i don't think it'll sneak its way into a billion before i get to the top of this list but it could cut into a top 100 that's possible so thank you so much for listening appreciate everyone who puts up with me and if you have any interest in checking out other episodes you can head over to itunes you can head over to the circleoffilm.com or just circleoffilm.com to find more episodes to find information about me and my spreadsheet to find information about the circle of film awards about the scavenger hunts etc 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 if you have any comments concerns questions or answers you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com thank you so much for listening once again And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same tonight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.